Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Sarah Schreiner is the owner of Sunshine Academy in Laurel, Montana. She's married to Greg, and the two of them have two children, Sophia Joe, who's nine, and Wyatt, who is six. Sarah cares deeply about her team and the families that she serves, and her unshakable optimism and her mindset to be in the pursuit of excellence is truly remarkable. Sarah has 25 teachers, 120 families, and 135 children that she's been entrusted to care and to serve. As we open our story, Sarah invites us into her home on that fateful night in March when it all began. You know, I actually was reflecting on this moment yesterday as I was kind of getting ready to gear up for our registration for this next school year. And really the evening was, I can identify it, it was March 15th. And it was a Sunday night. I was sitting there with um, my family. We had just finished Sunday dinner with my parents. I was washing the dishes. My kids were running around the house crazy because my parents' dog has was playing keep away with one of their shoes. And all of a sudden, in the midst of like this normal Sunday, wonderful evening, my phone started pinging. It started vibrating and All of a sudden, there was um, all kinds of messages that the governor had shut down all of the schools. And I remember going through a range of emotions. First, I think was probably anger and frustration because I instantly knew the impact this was going to have on my students, on their parents and their families, on my staff. And uh, There wasn't anything I could do to protect them from that. And then I think the next emotion that really came forward was just a sadness that we were in this this state and that I knew the world had just changed and we were walking into trauma. When we are called to rise up and become leaders, we have a choice. Do we get sucked into the hysteria, the drama, the chaos, and the fear? Or do we lean into our values and choose to anchor ourselves into what we know to be true for us and have that be a guiding light all the way through? 
I think the foundation of it was my faith and really being anchored and grounded in that faith. I think that was the foundation. And really, before any decision was made, there was in-depth time spent in prayer. And as quickly as we wanted to hurry and respond and you know be ahead of the curve, I really did grant myself some of that time just to sit in the moment and pray and reflect. And my goal for this whole experience was to minimize trauma and to minimize that impact on those that we interact with on a daily basis. So that would be the foundation. I also think that it was really important that I was already in a coaching program with you. And there were other leaders who had kind of started walking through this before I had. So I, as much as I was going in blind, because every situation is unique, there were these small resources or big resources or things to consider that I had never even, never imagined I'd have to think about, that I was able to tap into that community. I think that was very important because in our job, we spend so much time pouring into others. And then the pandemic hit and it was like quadruple the amount that we were having to pour in and the amount of decisions we were having to make that being in some sort of program or with a group of like-minded leaders allowed others to pour into me and allowed me to keep that tank at least at a level that I could continue functioning. I don't know that it was always full through this, but it was definitely always getting replenished. I want to go back to something that you said about your goal throughout the experience was to minimize trauma. Can you expound on that a little bit about how you understood so quickly that this was going to impact people in a very traumatic way? I think that only now or a couple months into it did, you know, researchers and studies start coming out about the impact and the rise in suicide and anxiety and depression and, you know, child trauma and domestic violence and all of these things started coming out later. But you had this kind of like, I need to minimize trauma. Talk to me a little bit about that. I really think that I have kind of an innate ability to like see the future and to be able to really like look and see things three months down the road, five years down the road, and to have clarity on that. Mm -hmm. And so when I think you're a visionary person and you're looking forward, you understand the impact of small changes. And I knew that this wasn't a small change. And I knew in my gut, this was not a, oh, we're going to shut down for two weeks and then life will go back to normal. There just wasn't much logic behind that. So I think my experience with kids, knowing that sometimes the impact of just changing a classroom, how that can take months for a child to adapt or maybe a change in a household. I've seen the impact that that's had and over my 20 years in the early childhood field, I've witnessed how small changes really impact families. And this really wasn't a small change. So it was easy to kind of craft this narrative that we were looking at something that will be in the history books that, and that my main focus needed to be minimizing the trauma of it. 
As decisions continued to be made across the nation, and each state and city crafted its own rules and regulations, parents needed to make choices about what they were going to do with their children. Many of them did not have tools to communicate as to what they needed or how to ask for input and advice in a way that was respectful and kind to the leaders. Before COVID hit the country, Sarah had been creating her own unique parent philosophy and how she incorporated it into the curriculum at Sunshine Academy. I love my philosophy, not that I'm biased, but um, <laughs> we like to brag at our center, we don't just provide childcare, we provide parent care as well. And uh, I think that that really originated when I became a parent and all of a sudden I understood and really had value for those people who seen me, seen the bags under my eyes or seen me on those mornings where nothing went as planned and they were there to kind of pick me up and dust me off or give me guidance going forward. And so I feel like one of the really unique areas that we focus on is serving our parent community and making sure that we're providing that parent care as much as childcare so that the whole family unit is really taken care of. And our motto is learning for a brighter future. And we all know that children don't come with a handbook. And so us being able to guide parents through that process, it's really an honor and a privilege, but it also is what sets us apart. Can you walk us through some of the principles of your parent care program? We really pride ourselves in um, high quality communication with our families, seeking them out in all different forms. So some of our parents prefer electronic communication. Some of our parents prefer in-person, really getting to know them. We look at those basic needs of the parent and of the family and see, are there any areas that we need to support them? Are there any areas that maybe they need some additional education? But more than anything, it's just coming alongside and honoring them as a human right where they're at in their journey without shame, without judgment, and helping give them the encouragement and the tools to move forward and to be proud of themselves in that journey. So let's go into, as you started to get some, well, you needed to communicate with parents the decisions that you were making about their child's care, and parents were starting to come back with their own opinions about what needed to get done. Can you speak to how did you intentionally separate feedback, opinions, attacks? How did you sort through all of that? We went into all of our communication with the intention of being very transparent about our motives, about our concerns, and really about the amount of knowledge that we had at that point in time. There were many emails that would go out that would say, we know our families are, you would like answers to this and we're right there with you. Um, and as soon as we have them, they will be, you know, we will share it with you. And then also sharing the fact that we were doing everything we could to minimize trauma and that that was our main focus was to minimize the impact that this is going to have on our children's families. So for the most part, the majority of our families were remarkably encouraging and um, positive and sending us um, information back saying, 
thank you so much for keeping us in the loop. We appreciate it. Or we understand your decision on this. Or they were pretty transparent with us saying, this is how it's impacted our family. How can we work together? Or how can you help us? Which I think that came from the fact that we really pride ourselves on that parent care piece. We had those good relationships from the beginning so we could have hard and open and honest communication with each other. So that part of the job was very fulfilling and very rewarding during this process to have that encouragement or those small messages where normally we're the ones kind of picking parents up. And instead, the table was kind of turned where they had an opportunity to really give us that encouragement and the attaboys. So that was great. We did get some not so kind responses. The majority of those weren't necessarily from our families in our program, but maybe outsiders who disagreed with our decisions to stay open or disagreed with how we were navigating that. And really, when it came down to it and separating those, I stood firm on the principles that I was being called to minimize trauma in a really hard situation, knowing that as a leader, you're never going to make everybody happy. And I was grateful that that negativity and hate and ugliness was being directed to me, not to my staff, not to my families, because I knew I had strong enough shoulders to be able to take it and then release it and let it go. Bless and release. Now breathe with me. Breathe, bless, and release. Why is it so hard for so many of us? We hold on to things. We live in the past. What can we do differently? Why did this happen? We agonize. We ruminate for hours and days and weeks on one thing that we actually have zero control over. Learning the skill to let it go, because it's a skill, like anything else. It's not meant for just the people who were raised that way and were lucky enough to have parents like that, or people who were born and have this innate ability to do so. It's available to each of you to learn this important life skill, life leadership skill for yourself. Bless and release. Dr. Edie Eager, who is a Holocaust survivor, shares, what comes out of you doesn't make you sick. It's what you keep inside that will kill you. It's not that you have to repress it and move on. You need to release it in a healthy way with beautiful practices. We need to let go of the things that we can't control. That is a true act of resilience because then you can rise up again. I know you may be thinking, I don't have time for these things, to write in journals or do any of this kind of work. Sarah shares with us how she intentionally has practices that invite this type of thinking and what she does to keep it consistent. And yes, Sarah is also very busy. Probably one of the things I've learned the most through this entire pandemic, it's a skill that I have been able to grow. And for that, I can really be thankful for this experience. But a couple of practices that I have really fine-tuned over the last nine months or so would be 
I spend a lot of time journaling mm-hmm. and I have a journal that I'm able to sit down and process essentially the events that have happened. And it's amazing just getting it on paper, being able to write it out, being able to stop then and read back and reflect and look at it. I like to go back and try to read it objectively. So not as the one that's experiencing it, but really as a third party reading a story from someone else. And so by doing that, I think thinking about my thinking, for lack of a better yeah. phrase, has really allowed me to be able to release and let go because I, I can acknowledge the hurt that maybe would have happened. I can recognize that and then I can choose to move forward and not allow that to have any more power over my time, my day, my attitude. I have been in those same shoes and I probably use that same exact excuse. But what I've learned over the years is that really we have time for anything that's important. And so it's about making a priority for it to happen. I started journaling by just getting a really thorough planner in it. It had a three things that you're grateful for, three things that you'd like to improve the next day. And Mm -hmm. it took less than five minutes a day. So there was really no change to my schedule that had to be made. And so I guess my advice for anybody would be if you're really struggling, letting go of hard conversations or you're ruminating on all of those really challenging situations that you've been in, it's time to make this a priority. Part of our practice as leaders is understanding how to manage our emotions. And a lot of that comes from understanding our boundaries. Boundaries create very clear and kind markers of where you begin and where you end. What do you allow and invite into your world and what you don't? As a mom of two young children and wife, Sarah is super intentional about how she wants to show up in the numerous roles and identities that she wears. While it may be muddled up soup for you right now, I want you to lean in and hear how Sarah has created these boundaries and how they have helped her create a beautiful quality of life. There was a time in which I had very little boundaries within all of my roles and my work life spilled into my home life, my home life was spilling into my work life. And nobody was happy, least of all myself, because there was always a part of me that was somewhere else. And so I don't remember exactly where I heard the quote, but it was towards working moms and allowing them to give themselves permission to be 100% wherever they were in that moment. And when I really started thinking about that, I hadn't been doing that within myself. I hadn't been giving myself permission to be Sarah the entrepreneur or Sarah the mom or Sarah the wife. There was just too much blurriness between those roles. So I started really sitting down and having honest conversations with the people that really those boundaries needed to occur with. So it started first with my staff and basically me being willing to sit back and say, I have done a really good job hiring people I have high quality people working for me and I trust them. And the best way to trust them is for me to say, 
unless the building is burning down or someone's headed to the hospital, when I'm not there, don't call. <laughs> and so that was the first boundary that I set and nobody respected it. I think nobody respected it because they didn't really believe I'd never up to that point followed through with it. So I would get messages, you know, text messages, phone calls, and I had to reinforce not responding to those messages, not answering those phone calls, which was a challenge. But once I've made up my mind, I'm pretty stubborn and pretty set to that. So um, that was the first big boundary that I set. And then within the others, the same went for when I was at work, I promised my team I would be there 100% and that I would give them 100%. And I think it took several months for them to really, truly understand that the value of that, because they had been used to me being at their beck and call and being able to call me and being able to bounce ideas. But what I found was that I was truly hindering the growth of my team and also the growth of my family, because we were able to, as a family, really connect and have these wonderful moments that weren't able, able to occur prior because there was always an invasion from some other avenue of my life. And so my overall contentment with each area of my life grew exponentially when I started setting those boundaries and really reinforcing them. The phone, the beautiful, he had always in our eye vision phone. You're using it right now to listen to this podcast. It's an amazing device and can also be very dangerous for your quality of life. Creating boundaries around phone usage is part of your resilience training, your ability to train and protect yourself, to save your energy and time and mental capacity and space so that you can do the things that you really want to do. We all use a ton of apps for our business, right? And I had my accounting app and I had my staff met like um, communication app. And then we had our parent communication and they were all on my phone. And what I found was when I went home, even if notifications were turned off, you would still pick it up. And there would be this tendency to want to check because you're curious and we all love our business, right? I mean, that's, that's why we're good at what we do. So instead, I went down and I invested in a separate iPad that all of my apps and all of my, for work are on that. So that doesn't get brought out during home time. And I deleted them all off of my phone. So when I'm at home, I have permission to be 100% with my family. And even if I were to pick up my phone to do something, I'm not going to be tempted to maybe check in on something that I can't commit to 100%. I think for me, what I'm learning is it's just like the classroom. You really have to start with the environment and setting up the environment for you to be successful. And I needed to do that with my home life and my work life. So you've walked through a hard journey and you're sitting here and listening or taking a walk or in a car ride and you're listening to Sarah's story. I'm sure you can relate to a lot. I now lean into a new direction at this point in our story to ask Sarah to share about the pride that she feels in herself as she walks into the new year of 2021. 
How is Sarah different than she was in January of 2020? As you hear what she shares, I invite you to think for yourself. How are you different today than you were back then? Being on the other side, and obviously we're still in a pandemic, but this isn't new. This has kind of become a part of our lives right now. Being able to look back, I really have pride in the strength that I have as an individual. And I think I've learned that I'm not just cut from the same cloth as everyone else. Mm. And that's not bragging. That's really just recognizing that my strengths and my skills are to be able to make decisions in the moment and to be able to show up and lead a team through something challenging and not just lead them, but we were able to grow our program over the last year, which is huge. I mean, we tell us about it. How did, how did, what was growth like? So growth was crazy, scary, terrifying, and wonderful all at the same time. We knew that our families and our community really needed stability. And there was so much up in the air with our local schools and what the options were going to be. We expanded an elementary program and were able to serve a smaller population of students in those classes minimizing the risk for families that were in our community, which was pretty exciting to be able to do that. If you would have told me five years ago, you're (laughs) going to grow your business in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) I would have laughed. But it was really about recognizing the need in the community and then being able to see where we could serve those families and, and again, minimize that trauma. So The fact that I am a visionary person, I can look ahead, I can see that, I can plan. I have a lot of pride in myself being able to recognize those are skills not everybody has. And I don't know that I really gave myself enough kudos for that before the pandemic. I thought hard times, everybody just, you just do it. You just show up. And that I learned really quickly that is not the case. Sarah is a mom of young kids. And as we know, with any age of children, they're watching what we're doing, what actions we're taking. We're the greatest role models. Sarah opens up and shares how this season wasn't just difficult for her school as she lived through a pandemic. This was rough for her also personally. In addition to the pandemic, this was a hard season for my family. I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. And within a like four or five week period, both of them had a classmate that passed away. So in addition to being yanked out of their school and having to distance learn, um, we were processing a lot of emotions of not just grief of their life and their schedule and their routine, but also grief of another child. And it wasn't just once, it was twice. So I think the way that I really showed up during this was to be present for my children and to teach them that sometimes it's okay to let go of part of your life in order to process another. For example, I will be completely transparent. The last three weeks of my children's school year was a wash. 
we didn't do much because we were processing really big emotions. And sometimes it's okay to let everything go in order to give yourself permission to do that. And so we spent time in our backyard. We spent time, my husband decided he was dedicated that we were not going to have just all bad COVID memories. So we were building a treehouse, and that was going to be our family memory. And so he built, we nickname it the tree mahal because it's bigger than my living room. I need um, to see a picture. We are I dying to build a tree house. But the lesson that I think we really needed to teach our children was in the midst of hard times, we turn into family and to one another. And really it's about being together, practicing a lot of grace with one another and giving ourselves permission to feel the feelings so that we can move forward and let go. So I sure hope that 20 years down the road or however long that my children remember um, in the midst of chaos, my mom was there. She was present. She made the hard decisions, but was always willing to follow up with a lot of love and a lot of grace. I mean, I think that's the wish that we all have for our kids, whether they're young and we're still able to be so impressionable on them or they're already teenagers and young adults. We always want our kids to know that home is a lifeline for them and it's a sanctuary. So I want to end with this final question. I know that during survival seasons, it's almost impossible to dream, um, especially to dream big because you're in survival. You're just taking it day by day. And now that you know where you're heading, you know, this isn't new anymore, right? We've, we've walked through this many, many times. Talk to us about some of your big dreams and kind of what's on the horizon for you and for your company. I always joke because my husband, he'll will ask us, okay, what's next, Sarah? And I'll say, well, <laughs> we're building our empire. And that's what I like. We're building our empire. If I am dreaming big dreams, um, uh, we're changing the world. We're raising a generation of, or helping families raise a generation of individuals who are kind and compassionate and listen to understand and uh, genuinely um, seek to serve one another. That's the long-term vision is that we no longer see big, ugly scenarios like we've all seen on the news of grown-ups behaving badly and that we all can engage in civilized and good and deep conversations with each other and maybe not agree, but understand one another. And so that's the long-term vision is to really unite with parents in that mission to change society for the better. So, but the upcoming things, maybe five years down the road, we have every intention of expanding our elementary program for families um, and to continue to really grow. We're implementing new services like parent coaching into our programs. So it's not a solo sport anymore. You get to come and work with professionals who actually get it and they have practical strategies that work <laughs> that will help bring peace back to your family. So those are kind of the, the upcoming goals. And really, though, it's just about making that difference and really setting our students up for a bright future. Sarah is a beacon of light and joy. 
What a privilege it is to work alongside her and be part of her journey. You see, it's the hard thing about hard things. There are no simple answers. There's no easy, quick fix solution. There's no hacks, tricks, or tips to get you through it. You gotta do the hard work. You need to stretch that courage muscle and believe that the pain that you feel now is temporary and you could create a brighter and more beautiful future for yourself. Believe that it's there. Mindset before mechanics. Elevate your mindset. Envision what's possible. The steps will follow. And now, Sarah and I would love to hear from you. What were your greatest insights into this story? And what questions do you still have? Come on, join us into our Facebook group, The Schools of Excellence Lounge, so we can continue our conversation. Are you a school leader who has a long list of responsibilities at home, at work, wherever it is that you are? Your to-do list just never seems like it's ending. But what you're really looking for is a better quality of life. I wanna share with you that you're not alone. And designing and creating an ideal week for yourself that serves you and your family is actually attainable for you. I'm hosting a special workshop called The Ideal Week for School Leaders. In this live training with me, and 30 other school leaders, you're going to gain clarity on what an ideal week means for you. I'm gonna walk you through how to schedule your priorities and your life so you don't leave your goals up to chance. The reason that this workshop is only for 30 school leaders is because we'll be doing it on a private Zoom link, just with me and the 30 other leaders. I've created a custom workbook to help you be reflective, ask questions, and also gave you a calendar of a week so that you can map it out for yourself. The workbook will be full of strategies, technique, and scripts to help you as well. So if you're looking at what is the next stage of growth look like? Because growth isn't always about numbers. Growth is about what are the priorities that I need to set in my calendar to hit those goals. Results follow the calendar. And so you need to identify the top priorities that you need to focus on to move your school in the right direction. Whether it's planning for your exit strategy, retirement, training the next in line, hiring, taking time to spend with your kids, whatever it is. In this training, we're going to build a calendar that serves you and your stage of life. What is important, what is critical, and what your personal values are. You're going to stop diffusing energy in multiple different directions and create a beautiful life that serves you and your school and your long-term goals of legacy and impact. Let's do this together. Head on over to Khani.me slash ideal week or click the link in the show notes. Hey there. 
I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.